When I was in college, uh, I went to UL and my grandmother lived uh, near campus. It was just a short walk off of campus to get to her house. So I was very lucky to have a parking spot and a daily meal for lunch. And oftentimes I'd bring my friends uh, with me to walk to my grandmother's house to have a, like a home-cooked meal for lunch in the middle of the school day. So one day I brought uh, my friend with me and we walked on over to my grandma's house and my grandma, um, you know, wasn't in the kitchen at the time. So I just figured she must have been napping or something. So we just kind of helped ourselves to the fridge and um, there was always food in the fridge for us to kind of um, uh, help ourselves to. Uh, she was very good about that. And so we just started eating lunch. And it was a hot day, so my, my friend um, had his like button-down shirt. He took that off and he just had like his undershirt on. Well, whenever uh, we're about halfway through the meal, my grandmother wakes up from her nap and she starts to come to the kitchen. And my friend immediately, whenever she, he noticed that uh, my grandmother was coming in, he grabbed his shirt and he put it on and he buttoned it up and then he stood up and he said hello to my grandmother and just kind of said hello and kind of gave a little head nod and, um, and introduced himself. And I'll tell you, my grandmother never stopped talking about that friend. She loved his manners. She absolutely loved and was so impressed by his initiative to be so respectful in her presence. And I brought a number of friends to my grandmother's house, but t from that day on, that was her favorite friend. That, because that meant a lot to her. Like, just this, this, these gestures of respect go a very long way. And it's uh, similar, you know, to how many of uh, parents, um, I know for me, whenever I was growing up, my parents were very good about teaching me how to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, yes, sir, and no, sir. And whenever I would uh, just kind of respond, yeah, they would very quickly say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. And um, it, certainly to them, but, but especially to other adults, they would be, you know, kind of embarrassed if ever I would speak to another adult as a child and I would simply just respond, yeah or no. And I see that happening a lot with a lot of other parents, too. It's a struggle to kind of teach kids those manners, but, but we teach them those manners because it's important. And it, we don't teach them to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, and no, sir, because, because adults are conceited. We don't teach them to say that because we need to build up the ego of the adults. We don't teach them to say that because the adults are rude or cold or unfriendly. We teach that because there is a natural ordering to society in which certain members of society deserve a certain degree of respect by virtue of who they are and by what role they're playing in society. Which is why children, it's proper and just for them to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, um, etc. Uh, it's, it's similar to, uh, say, like when you go to the doctor. Um, you know, maybe, maybe if you already know the doctor and y'all are, you know, y'all grew up together and y'all are best friends, maybe you'll call him by his first name. But usually when we go to the doctor, we say, Dr. So-and-so. There's, like a, there's just like an ordering to society, and it's good that we do this. There's like a proper reverence and respect to each other. And certainly every human being deserves the fundamental dignity, the, the respect that we give to every human person. But then beyond that, then we also order the natural um, ordering of society to give each member the, the respect that is due. And I say that because in today's gospel, Jesus reveals himself 
as God. Again, and he does this all the time, but this is a, a particular example where he reveals his divinity. It's undeniable. It's unshakable. We know this is God himself. And in so doing, he's, he's basically revealing that we are not equals, that there is something greater about Jesus than every other human being that we've ever experienced. And because of that, there is a general respect, a a certain reverence in which we owe him, not because he's conceited, not because we need to build up his ego, not because we're in competition with him, but because he truly is greater. So I just want to unpack this story for you today because this is just a wonderful story. And if you haven't taken the time to like go to prayer, like in in your own room or in a church or or adoration chapel and actually sit with this story and put yourselves in this story and let the Lord speak to you. If you haven't done that yet, I challenge you to do that because this is one of the best passages to enter into imaginative meditation, to enter into Lexio Divina. So I definitely challenge you to do that on your own. God wants to say so much here. There's so much in this passage. But I do want to unpack a few things, particularly this idea of giving a due reverence to the Lord. So first we have this story, just to put it all in context in case you kind of zoned out while we were reading the gospel today. Um, This happens right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. So that story about multiplying the loaves and the fishes, and it's a large crowd, and it's this miraculous event. It's a total miracle where Jesus multiplies food in order to feed everybody. So after that dramatic event... Obviously, you can imagine the emotions are high, and probably people are starting to get a little tired. That was just a very long day. And Jesus dismisses the crowds, and he sends his apostles across the Sea of Galilee. He sends them to a boat. Y'all get started. And Jesus retreats. He goes and prays. He prays on his own to spend some time in solitude with him and his father in prayer. And then in the middle of the night, the apostles are still in the boat, and a storm comes. And on the Sea of Galilee, because it's not a large, it's large enough, but because it's not, um, like whenever a storm comes, the, the, the wind and the waves, it really makes it tumultuous for the boats. And so they are frightened. I mean, this is a dangerous situation. They're in the middle of the sea, and the wind and the waves are strong, and it's the middle of the night. And suddenly Jesus appears walking on water. And as he's appearing, walking on water, the disciples don't recognize him at first. They think instead that it's probably a ghost. And so it says that they're frightened. And so already we can see that Jesus is uh, revealing divine power. He's able to actually walk on water. And then he gives those beautiful words, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And, and the, uh, this happens in Matthew's gospel. So Matthew, the evangelist, whenever he's recording this in Greek, he writes, take heart. And when it says, it is I, he's actually saying uh, in Greek, it says, ego eimi, which is actually literally translated as I am. And so Matthew is making this allusion to the divine name that God gives to Moses. I am in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses goes to the the burning bush and reveals himself, um, and and God reveals himself to Moses, asks him to set his people free from Pharaoh, Moses asks, what is your name? And God says, I am. And so here in this story, I don't think it's a coincidence that Matthew chose to use the words, ego, amy, I am, in order to um, put all this into context. That as Jesus is walking on water, as the disciples are afraid for their life, Jesus says, 
I am, alluding to the divine name. And all of this happens, and then finally uh, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me walk on the water. And Peter starts walking on the water. This is where you really got to go to prayer. Let the Lord speak to you in that. Um, there's so much he wants to say. But Peter starts walking on the water. He sees the wind and the waves. He starts sinking, and then he shouts out, Lord, save me. Jesus does. This is so dramatic. There's so much happening. And then he finally brings him back to the boat. And then it's really interesting. When he brings him back to the boat, it says that the disciples or the apostles did him homage. Okay, that word really doesn't mean a whole lot for us today, like homage. What is that? But, but again, back to the Greek. The Greek word used there is proskuneo, which is where we get the word prostrate. And proskuneo means to prostrate, to worship. And although it's true that sometimes that word can be used for, to refer to the prostration that someone would give before a king, in Matthew's gospel in particular, Matthew only uses the word proskuneo to refer to the prostration that you give to God alone. He only uses it in the context of divinity. So one of those examples is this. In Matthew chapter 4, you may recall the story of Jesus going to the desert. And in the desert, he is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and he is tempted by Satan. And as he's tempted by Satan, remember, we we read this at the beginning of Lent every year. Um, One of those temptations was this. Satan tells Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you proskuneo me, if you worship me, if you bow down and prostrate before me. Satan tempts Jesus, asking Jesus to prostrate Satan. And what is Jesus' response? Jesus says, the Lord is God, and him alone shall you serve. In other words, I'm not bowing down to you because I will only bow down. I will only proskuneo God. That's Jesus' response. That proskuneo is only for God. And then 10 chapters later, Matthew 14, we have today's story. And the apostles proskuneo. The apostles prostrate before Jesus whenever they get back into the boat. After all of these dramatic events, feeding the 5,000, miracle, walking on water, miracle, letting Peter walk on water and saving him, miracle, all that gets back in the boat, proskuneo. They bow down and they worship Jesus. It's not like a, whoa, celebrate, cheers, we're giving a bunch of hugs and kisses. It's like, no, this is God. And they bow down and worship. It's one of those things that we can so easily pass up in this gospel, but it's so crucial because Jesus is revealing the fullness of who he is and showing us that he's not just any ordinary man. And yes, it's true that God is good. God is merciful. God is loving. And he he became one of us in order to draw close to us so that we could call him friend. All of that is true, and there's so much about that in the scriptures and in the story of the gospel, but, but sometimes whenever we, we talk so much about God being forgiving and merciful and as a friend, sometimes we forget that God is not just an ordinary human being. God's not just another one of us. God's not just here for a good time. God's not just here for a momentary excitement of pleasure. God is still almighty and amazing and all-knowing and omnipotent. God is great and magnificent. God is God. And because he's God, he's so much greater than us. And the proper response to his divinity, to his 
Greatness is proskuneo, to bow down and worship. In other words, the proper response is this, what we would call the holy fear of the Lord. In fact, the uh, responsorial psalm for today in, in the little verses, if you go back and check, it says salvation is for those who fear the Lord. But when we say fear, we don't mean the fear that the apostles first had while they were stressed out in the middle of the sea with the wind and the waves. We're not talking about that type of fear and anxiety. We're not talking about the fear whenever they didn't recognize Jesus yet and they said, it is a ghost, and, and, and afraid that they were literally going to be harmed or hurt. We're not talking about that fear. That's the fear that you and I experience all day long, every day. We have plenty of that fear in this world, and that's not the fear we're talking about. When we talk about a holy fear of the Lord, what we're really talking about is a holy reverence a properly ordered respect for the one who truly is greater than us. Similar in in an analogous way, certainly to a lesser degree, in the way that a child would have a holy reverence towards an adult and should, with well manners, say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. So I just want to challenge us to, to consider that for today, like, Do you have that interior disposition of a holy reverence for the Lord, a holy fear of the Lord? The prophet Isaiah reminds us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So again, we're not talking about like the anxiety that comes with worldly fears. We're talking about a a reverence, a respect that's given to someone greater than us. Do we have that interior disposition Because the reality is, as Catholics, we proskuneo Jesus, particularly in the Eucharist at Mass. And if you understand or see it through that lens, that that in Catholic Mass, we recognize that the Eucharist is not just a symbol, it's not just bread, it's not just this idea But if you recognize that it's God himself, the same God that walked on water, the same God that multiplied the loaves and the fishes for 5,000 families, that same God is in this room. And if we recognize that, then suddenly all of our little Catholic traditions start to make a little bit more sense. Oh, that's why we don't bring food into Mass. Oh, that's why Catholics can't bring their coffee and their cute little coffee mug to Mass. Oh, that's why we try to dress at our Sunday best, that we try to be modest in our dress whenever we come to Mass. Oh, that's why Father, for the past couple of months, has every now and then been talking about, hey, after Mass, please take the conversations outside so that those inside can pray and remain in a posture of reverence. Oh, that's why we have the genuflections and the bowing and all the aerobics that happens during Mass. Now it makes sense because this is not just a time to just love each other in community, although that's true. And this is not just a time to like be inspired, although hopefully you are. It's not just a time to be self-serving, but rather 
True worship is about bowing down to someone who truly is greater. And that person is Jesus Christ. That person is God himself. We're talking about this Eucharistic revival, and and I truly believe that at the heart of Eucharistic revival is simply just reclaiming who the Eucharist is. And if we recognize that Jesus Christ is the living God, although it's true, at the same time, the living God became one of us and in total generosity has drawn close. That communion is the fruit of our humility. That communion with God begins first with a holy reverence, a holy fear of the Lord. So I just want to invite all of us to just bring that to prayer. It starts in the heart, and then it bleeds out into our external gestures and postures. And so today in particular, as we continue with this Mass, just invite you to ask the Lord to give you that grace a properly ordered reverence and respect, a holy fear of the Lord in the heart, the type of holy fear that leads to a true communion with God. Amen.